A song can tell a much deeper story than words ever could, be it a combination of the emotional, spiritual connection, or perhaps just taking you back to a very special moment in time. With that said, how do you even begin to introduce an artist who's held the golden mic for five decades, whose music is celebrated world over, having shared stages and been revered by the likes of people like Baba Mal, Aretha Franklin, Stevie Wonder, to, and the list is endless, an artist who the late father of the nation of South Africa is and a globally celebrated icon, um, former President Nelson Mandela, said was his favorite musician, a man whose songs are the soundtrack of the nation, Burnout is pretty much an anthem in everybody's opinion and someone whose who's songs like Shigishe um, is what Nelson Mandela who, which is what Nelson Mandela used to call him have been revolutionary in that the video portrayed an integration of races in South Africa at a time when it was unheard of an icon in the truest sense of the word he has been always will be and is consistently changing the African narrative so it makes absolute sense to have him as a guest on this episode of Africa State of Mind please welcome Brasi Hot Six Mabuse, yay! Oh, thank you so much, Lee. Well, I didn't realize that I have praise singers out there. <laughs> you can hire me, I'll do it for free, you know. Uh, you are employed to become a praise singer. Thank you so much, Lee. That's very humbling that it, you hear. I didn't even know that, I didn't even realize that so much is known of me and I was not even aware that there is so much about me that I still have to to research. Yeah, definitely. You're just a phenomenal. Honestly, you know, I, I mentioned before we started recording about how my father, I'm just after this, I'm going to tell him, Daddy, I have done something great. I'll call him. I'll be like, Daddy, it's Nabunya. I've done something amazing because he, he absolutely loves you. He and my oh. uncles and everybody, you know. So even in Uganda, you are so, you are so celebrated. It's awesome. Oh, thank you so much. I celebrate music from Uganda through so many as well. Wow. Yeah. Oh, wow. she's what awesome. Is. Yeah, yeah. She's phenomenal. Unbelievable. <laughs> Unbelievable. Now, yes. now Bre- you know, I just wanted to ask you how it feels. This may be a kind of a hectic kind of question to go in with, but how does it feel to know that you have a song, like you know, in the song Burnout, that literally people from around the continent all thought the song was from their part of the, the continent? Everybody. In Nigeria, people are like, said, no, 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 this song has got Nigerian influence. In Uganda, people are like, can you not hear the East African, <laughs> you know, everybody? And I've been in arguments where I'm like, listen... It's a South African song, South African, you know, inspiration. How does it feel to have a song like that that literally has just been identified across the continent as being the, as being its own song? Well, Lee, you know, I'm an African first mm. before I think of myself as a South African. Yeah. And uh, I, I owe my creativity to the continent. And every every other music that I hear would influence whatever I try to make in my music. Mm. So I, I, I guess uh, burnout came through that 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 uh, interaction of the uh, of my my spirits, mm. you know, going through, and the fact that I've traveled all over the continent, except of course I haven't been to Uganda, but I've met Ugandans, I've met Tanzanians everywhere I've been. Mm. So my music has always been interactive. I have been influenced by a lot of us. I mean, Fela, 
Yes. Who does not fell on mm. this continent? Fella had been such an inspirational musician. Yes. And you had bands like Osibisa in Ghana and in Nigeria. I mean, Nigerian musicians getting together. And in Zimbabwe, you have uh, Oliver. So yeah. the list is endless. And I, I guess then that song would probably be, be a, 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 a reflection mm. of what this country, of what this continent can offer musically. Definitely. And you know what I really, you know, as you were speaking and you're talking about the influences, what kind of crept into my into my mind was the fact that as much as there's always definitions about genres of music and everything, they are, you know, more often than not, when you get a really good song, um, you know, yes. it just transcends all jo- genres Absolutely. and all boundaries. And, and I feel that Bernard has that. It's, it's a combination of every genre within Africa. I'm amazed at how even this, the youngest of kids, I mean, from the age of five, when they hear this song and they create their own lyrics around the song, and <laughs> it just baffles <laughs> me, to be honest. And yes. I think, wow, even children as young as five, they'll start singing and they created their own lyrics around this song. Yeah, yeah. that's incredible. So that's a trans- that's transcending, as, it, as, as you, you say, you know, it's it, it, goes beyond the age and I mean you go onto the streets and go to nightclubs and every time I perform this song it's almost like it's a new song for me and yes. everybody just goes crazy yes. crazy that's incredible yeah. now you've been in the yeah. in the music industry for for five decades you know and a lot of people don't really last that long and music has changed so much um, can you talk to us about just your journey within the five decades and things that you've perhaps learned along the way that have kept you relevant um, all this time well like uh, curiosity you know mm. curiosity I'm a very curious musician and uh, I always like to explore different things. I'm an inventive person, I'd like to believe. I do things differently, and I hope, because I I am not uh, dictated to by, by facts. Mm-hmm. You know, fashion, where styles, where they come in, and then I, you know, I just evolve through things, through ideas, and every time I record things, and when I record things, sometimes I just take chances and say, this is my level of creativity, and I'm not going, I'm not going to be dictated to by what is currently happening. Mm. If, it, if, 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 if it's, it succeeds, then great for me. But if it fails, at least I've made a mark in terms of my level of creative creativity. And that has always been my mantra. I go through that and uh, for some reason it works and it has kept me going for all these years. Definitely, and I love that the fact that you're curious. Um, you're curious about music, and you remain, you know, you remain excited and curious and, and everything about it. I do have to say, as much as you say that you're not fashionable, please, we know that you were setting a lot of fashion trends, and you know, <laughs> you were setting a lot of fashion trends. I'm very, very sure of that. <laughs> well, I, I, I'm not conscious of it. I, it, I guess it's that's something that happens, obviously, that if you have noticed. We, we have noticed. <laughs> and now let's talk about just, um, you know, especially back in at the time when you when your career was really taking off within South Africa and you had the opportunity to be able to travel at a time when, when the majority of people in South Africa couldn't travel, you know, and you had, you know, you were, you were also involved in the political um, movement, but not in the most obvious way. Could you please share that story? Well, you know, I 
I came from a, a, an environment in which um, most of my peers, my my colleagues and people that I grew up with, we, you know, were somewhat uh, in, involved in, in the liberation struggle once, and uh, musically as well. And because we came from high school, that enabled us to engage in, in matters of importance for this country. And music became part of that movement. And and then I was always involved with uh, many of my colleagues were in my travels, and they would be saying, okay, look here, because we are aware and you're, you're a conscious person, go back home and deliver certain things, go back home and talk to people about the thing. And obviously most of the things that we do were COVID. We could not be an COVID uh, political uh, movement. Uh, but for some reason, the, the the authorities of this country knew, and at some stage we were forced to confront the situation openly and mm. say, "Okay, this is what we are going to do, and this is what," we, because the sacrifice that all the other people were doing, when when what we were doing was not comparable, we could not compare any of what we mm. did compared to the people that have sacrificed the ultimate, their own lives. So it was just a small contribution on our part to be to ensure that we we also add value to what they were doing. That's incredible. And and now even you know as you mentioned about the fact that you had started music, uh, you, you were your band was formed, I believe, by default when you were at high school at Orlando West High yeah. School, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, and I just thought that I thought the story was was really awesome. How you went from being called the Beaters to Harare. If you could share that story, because I think people around the continent will really be fascinated by that. Yeah, the, the Beaters was as you know. At that time, we were obviously a naive uh, Jew. We were naive as uh, the youth, and uh, the radio stations that we listened to were all white-influenced radio stations, and uh, they influenced <laughs> how we created our music. Yeah, you know, I mean, uh, we saw ourselves as the, this elite uh, group of musicians who were educated, and group of musicians who came from, and of course, indeed, the media loved us for it. Mm. The fact that we came from from high school, as most musicians at that time were considered to, considered to be vagrants, people who were just hanging out and had nothing else to do there. We we were the, the darlings of the media, especially the the bread packs of them, you yes. know, the, the generation, the agriculturists, the persucovosas and so on. The list is just endless. They loved us. Mm. You know, and then of course, when we started traveling, it was during the time when the, 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 there was this whole groundswell of political liberation struggles around the continent, especially in, our, in the southern hemisphere, with Zimbabwe, with Mozambique, with Angola, with Namibia, and of course here at home. Mm-hmm. The Black Consciousness Movement became the mantra of the black people to say, look, black men, you're on your own. You, had, you have to advance your course. And that the education that we had from high school enabled us to to engage with with that, and we got the influence of the Black Consciousness Movement. So when we went to our, to Zimbabwe, we were embraced by the people of Harare, which mm-hmm. was a township then, mm-hmm. and we composed a song, and naturally everything just moved from the beaters to a Black Consciousness group called Harare. 
Incredible. I love that story. Yeah. Um, I just love you because it just shows just how much when it comes to music, you really with you and with your band members, the music was really about the people, you know, more than anything else. Um, you know, I did want to. Yeah, and of course, and of course, it came at a time when, you know, we had just even traveled to 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 Botswana, where we met Kaifa's letter oh, wow. and all the student movements. Yeah. It was the first time that we met Kaifa's letter in Botswana, where we had to raise funds for students in exile. And most of those students were members of the Black Consciousness Movement. So naturally, you know, we transformed ourselves from a pop, you know, group to a conscious group. Now, when when you speak about the Black Consciousness Movement and um, with regards to you know, being members of it, and also you mentioned about other musicians who are part of it, you know. It, it begs, I, I'd like to ask the question, in light of what's going on in the world today, where we see this, you know, where everybody's talking about black excellence, you know, people would, would assume that after all these years, the whole idea about being black and African would not be such a big thing or would not be kind of like the taboo that it is, you know, um, or that, you know, people would not look down on the fact of, of somebody being black, should I say. So for you, yeah. what do you think about movements like Black Excellence? When you look at what's going on with um, the, the the struggles that that Black Americans, the African Americans, are dealing with, you know, when we look at issues around xenophobia and everything, what are your thoughts around that? Especially, you know, back then with Steve Biko and everything, the Black Consciousness Movement was so big, and it was about Black people from all over celebrating themselves. What are your thoughts on what's happening today? You know, the endemic racism that pervades society today provokes reaction. Mm-hmm. And all this is reaction from us. We, our, our position as black people and as Africans is more defensive than, uh, uh, you know, just free. And uh, we, we have processes where we have to defend our Africanness, our blackness, in mm-hmm. the sense that a lot, a lot that has been, for instance, the shooting that goes on in America is intended mm-hmm. to, it's crazy. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. Why would it, why in this day and age, you find police who are essentially white think that they should go out and kill black people for being black. Mm. So what that does, it just evokes, you know, uh, uh, unintended consequences of defending a position of being who we are. Mm. And we have to raise, you know, our awareness. We have to uh, make conscious those who provoke us to that position to say that, look, worthy of your respect. We are who we are because we are made in the image of what have made you. Yes. Yeah. And and also when we look further into issues around xenophobia, you know, um, it's obviously a question yes. that is pertinent and important to ask in general. I kind of, you know, I have my views around what I think is behind it, but what are your thoughts around xenophobia and just, I guess, you know, us as Africans knowing we're the same people? We are, are the same people. But again, you know, that could should ignorance. You know, when, when people become ignorant, they become uh, unaware of certain things that are important, even about themselves. Mm. You have been so oppressed that you hardly even look at yourself as a dignified person. They, mm. And the only anger that you can is against your own brother. Mm. You know, and this is what has been very sad in this country. Our people have been so um, marginalized, so brutalized by the a system that has made them hate themselves that when they they want to react, they re- the same like them. 
you know, and then we see our own African brothers and sisters as the enemy. Mm. And we begin to think that they are the ones that have created problems for us instead of dealing with the problem that is racism, mm. you know. And because it, it, racism in itself manifests into what you call xenophobia. Yes, definitely. You know, it's, it's, it's racism in disguise. Mm. You know, so, we believe that uh, when we 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 cannot deal with those who are racist against us, okay, let with the with those who we think are different to us, and unfortunately, they are not different; they are just like us. It's really sad. So I just yeah. I, I get I I think I do have a sort of hope. As much as we see all of this, I guess my hope is in that I I with all of that all that's going on, there feels like there's a resurgence in this whole idea of being black, of being African. There's a resurgence and people, especially young people are really taking the mantle and they're like, this is who I am and I'm, I'm unashamed, you know? So I'm hoping, Absolutely. yeah, that, you Absolutely. know. But, you know, this whole thing needs to, needs to reverberate throughout the continent. Mm. Africans need to take ownership of a position that they self-respect. Yes. And at the same time, we can be, we cannot be blind to the fact that Others who go into other people's countries create an environment which creates uncertainty, mm. and then as a, and, and it blemishes everybody who is good, you know. Mm. And they are good in all of us. There's yeah. good in all of us, and there's bad in all of us, you know. And it is a good that we should actually bring upon ourselves as a people, so that we advance this continent now, mm. you know. And bad and good is not only about. Uh, um, trafficking and so on, even in government level, yeah. you know, people that are supposed to be authoritative, you know, the stealing from the poor, from the poor to, to even the rich, even the richer people, the same as Africans who steal from their own people, we need to guard against that. We need to work against that. We need to mobilize to say, look, you cannot steal from us beyond what you have already done. So that that now, you know, gets respectability from the rest of the world. Mm-hmm. Sure, that's very true. And Brasipa, I also wanted to ask you, you know, um, when you mentioned earlier on in the conversation, you spoke about how, you know, y- y- the beaters were media darlings, basically, you know. And now yeah. I think for an, for an artist, a young um, African artist, the world has changed totally where we have a situation where there are so many African artists who are celebrated, not just in, in their home countries or not just in the continent, but around the world, you know. And if you yeah. add this to social media, you know, so on one hand, it's, we've got the, it's really good because people are, you know, being kind of respected as musicians and, you know, they're doing well in the careers that they've chosen. On the other hand, right. we also seem to have a situation where, Obviously, with with fame comes a lot of the the darker side of it. What advice would you give to a young artist, say if you're like 19, 22 or something like that, and you're doing really well in terms of remaining grounded and and just, you know, taking care of yourself in your in kind of in your earning years, shall I say? Yeah, I think what what is what is critical is uh, young African musicians should not look to influence from elsewhere, especially negative influence, because sometimes we take from the media mm. what is negative and see as positive for us. Mm. And uh, we use it to advance ourselves. 
The unfortunate part is that has negative effects on society as a whole, as for, for the younger musicians as well. And for me, I've always maintained that we should not believe the hype. We should just work mm-hmm. hard enough to ensure that what we do is correct and it is for the good of society. Mm-hmm. And if we, don't, if we don't do that, somewhere along the lines, we are so engulfed by uh, fame and the little fortune that we have made mm-hmm. uh, um, and think and forget that there's another 30 years ahead of us or mm-hmm. probably 40 years ahead of us where we may not necessarily be the same and things may have changed. And so to think ahead is most critical for them. And remain, um, I'd love to believe that I I am, remain as humble and Mm. as generous as possible. Mm. That is amazing. And you you actually started an annual conference, if I'm not mistaken, which basically educates artists, if I'm not mistaken? Yes, we do those uh, every now and then. And I engage quite a lot with many young people. And my, 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 my biggest um, um, challenge is how do we deal with the, uh, the drug uh, mm. influence? How do we deal with it? How do we um, impress upon the young people that that's, there are other ways outside this whole thing, you know, mm. to, to keep our, ourselves ahead? Because as young people, we must also remember that tomorrow we will be parents, we'll be adults. And how would we like our children to behave and be in the midst of all what is happening now? Definitely. Now, you know, when we look back at your your career and how everything has been going, um, burnout was huge, obviously, still is, but I I believe Jive Soweto was also huge, so much so that it went number one at Capital Radio in the UK. All those years yeah. ago, <laughs> where were you when you heard that it went number one, and were you surprised, you know, about it? I was surprised because I would never really have imagined that uh, a song which which had no English lyrics would actually go up to <laughs> in the, in the know, place of it English. Was very, it was very <laughs> much a township song, as much as it it, it, it it was not even anywhere near a song that sounds British. Mm. But for, for, for Britain to embrace it to that level for me, I guess it was also the the African society that was there that mm. made it possible for it to be heard by uh, the British uh, mm. public. And, but I must add that, you know, in, in one of the tours that we were doing as Harari, some of the influences that we had came from British musicians themselves who yeah. were playing African music and I thought, wow, incredible! here we are, mm. we sound like a rock band and here's a, <laughs> and a British band playing township music. And that for me was a, an eye-opener. Yeah. For, for, for the first time I came back home thinking, wow, let me find the real roots of the music that I should create for the future. And I found it in a song like Jabs of Work. Sure, that's incredible. And you know, when you speak about um, about getting influence in terms of finding the real roots of the music that you make, I loved your story about, as you can tell, I've overly researched you. I loved your story about <laughs> the performance in Russia, you know, because these days when we hear Russia, we're like Putin, the world, nuclear bomb, hey, 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 you know, the World Cup recently. <laughs> you had the most interesting kind of performance in Russia and I think it was one of your favorite countries to perform in if you could share that with us please because uh, some you know we we have this perception 
we have this imagination of what Russians as a people are. And of course, when you get there, you experience the self and the, 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 the what you consider a, a, a crowd that is so absorbed in itself that you can't get through as you do with all other countries. I mean, as we were performing, there was just all this silence. And for some reason, we didn't even know that we were doing anything that was correct. Mm. And we, well, we had no choice but to continue playing. But it was after the last song mm. that everybody stood up and there was all this cheer. I mean, it was relative. Because for us, it was like, wow, what an audience. And we got to learn that these people are there to listen. Mm. and see to what extent we have developed the kind of music that we are presenting to them. Mm. And one of the people that we also met here in South Africa, incidentally, he was also uh, awarded the, the, the silver of the Ikamanga um, in, in national orders. Slava came to us and said, no, this is how the Russians do. Yeah. They listen and they, they don't just get wild over things. It's a challenge for you to get deep into their minds and ensure that what you, what you deliver is to the standards that they are accustomed to. Incredible. So now we'll, yeah. talk, we'll talk about another awesome story because your life is just a, a lot of stories. I really do hope that you will have a book or memoir coming out. Um, so, so this story um, around you and you know the late Miriam Makeba, just the beauty of the story, the fact that you're in Brussels, she lives there, you ask her to um, to feature on a song. She agrees. If you could continue yes. the rest of the story. <laughs> yeah. Well, I asked her to come and sing, and I wanted to write a song for my mother, and mm. she could, she became the perfect, you know, a candidate for mm. it. And she she agreed. You know, she said. And then, as we were going on working, she said to me, "Why don't you produce an album for me?" Mm. I was. I thought. Uh, did I hear you correctly? Mm. I said, yes. I want you to produce an album for me. <laughs> and I thought, well, there was Caiaphas, there was you, there was Quincy Jones, there was everybody around the world. Why would you think that I was I had the capacity to produce an album? She said, I've been working with you since you were in Brussels and I've seen how, how you work. Mm. And I'd really love to hear a sound from home. And I think you carry that. I was humbled by that. and But I was panicking as well mm. because I wasn't too sure if I would be doing the right things. And then suddenly I received a call from his manager, uh, Roberto, and there were all these musicians from France, from Guatemala, from everywhere who she had worked with and uh, from the continent walking into the studio. Mm. Wow. Incredible. <laughs> it, it, was, it was just... Now, I had to conduct these these musicians and I had to direct them. And of course, you know, you also get uh, sort of uh, reluctance from others to to respond and so on. Mm. Then I had to assert myself somehow. But there was this fantastic pianist that I worked with from France. Really, like, he was just an incredible musician. And of course, after I'd recorded with Mazi, you know, we did the album Walela. Mm. And sure. I started traveling with her to countries like Italy. We went to France. We went everywhere where we were finishing the recording. Mm. Yeah. Okay. 
I was humbled by that experience because I, I, I still believe that there were other great uh, uh, songwriters that could have produced Miriam. But I guess everything is also about connection, you know, and I suppose sometimes we don't always see in ourselves what other people do. And you yes. know, and that album it's turned so out to be, yeah, turned out to be so yes, iconic. So that collaboration. It's so true. And and of course that you know, it was also a, a very emotional uh, meet for me. Mm-hmm. Because when even during my recordings I had asked Brahim to come from New York to come and join us. Mm-hmm. So that reunion was mm-hmm. just incredible because the last time we had been together was in Lesotho in the eight nineteen eighty for the first time. And that the reunion in Brussels was just incredible. It was so emotional, mm. you know. And uh, I remember uh, I even wrote a song, you know, called uh, Refugee Come Home. Mm. Because Marvi asked me, do you ever think we would be coming home soon? Mm. I said soon, you know. <clears throat> but I wasn't too sure. But it, it was very emotional because as we as we were walking out, the three of us were singing, Sapuma Sapera Romanya Mazu which means we left our homes looking for freedom elsewhere. You know, we found ourselves in this foreign land. And as I was going to act with Brazil, he was saying, hey, my brother, my brother, you're going home. I'm going to New York. I hope to see you. Mm. And it was a very emotional parting as well. Mm. Oh, I just got goosebumps just, you know, listening to that. I think, I think you know, more often than not when people, especially during those times, people always think that when somebody leaves their home country, it's, it's better on the other side. But there's always that thing about home and missing and, you know, it, it is quite a, it's quite a sacrifice. There's a lot of pain in that. Mm. There's a lot of pain in that. Unfortunately, not many of our people are telling the story. Mm. Yeah, not many of our people are telling the story of exile and what it meant. And we are silent to their pain, mm. you know. We are silent to that pain. And I strongly believe that it's a pain that must be told. I hang around many of my friends with in exile. And when we sit in the old, sometimes we start getting, you know, drinking. And, and then you could tell from the discussions, you know, while there were smiles on their face, but the there is the pain of telling that story, mm. you know, because I personally, I was not in exile, but I, I personally experienced being away from home uh, when I was in Brussels for three months and I could not see a soul that I know except for mm. Miriam. I understood the pain of being in exile. Now you can imagine people being away from home for 20, 10, 15 years, not even knowing that they can go back. I could go back home anytime. Mm. But the feeling of being in in a foreign country without, you know, being able to interconnect with your own people was so devastating. True. True. And just, um, it's been such an awesome conversation. I literally am smiling. My heart, everything is smiling totally. Oh, thank you so much, Lee. Just, just, I have two more questions. So the one question is, you know, I think everybody in the world, everybody from Beyonce to Adele to, you know, everybody has this thing where they like, they wish that Nelson Mandela would say, you're my favorite artist. Brasipo, like... Seriously? Yeah. Do you understand that that is in, in uh, like modern day colloquial terms, you would say you have bragging rights? 
because <laughs> that is that is that is second to none. It's like you know. So and and from what I understand, he also called you Shigishe, right? Based on the yes. song. So can yes. you tell us that story in closing? It did, you know. <laughs> and what you know when he was released from from Robin Island, uh, well, from Victor Fester coming home. Mm. There, there was there was. Uh, an intended meeting with members of the civil society, of course, including the artists, uh, uh, politicians, businessmen, and so on. So we were invited as musicians to go and meet him at the house. Mm. Again, uh, I probably had the breaking right of feeling that I am closer to the family because my because of marriage. Mm. So it, 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 it enabled me to, to have better access to the home. And I've been in that house many times. But most of the musicians were invited together together and decided to leave me behind. Mm. And I thought to myself, I'm not going to miss this opportunity. I will go. Mm. Fortunately, I had a car then. So I drove to the house and being privileged, I drove into you know, a house through the back door, mm. through the back gate. Uh, everybody else was already waiting in the garden in the front. And I'm sure you've, you've been to the to Nelson Mandela house. Yes. In, yes. Yes, in Orlando West. Yes. They were all sitting out in the front where you'd find the statues and so on. Mm. I walked through the back door. And as I came into the, he came out of the bedroom. He just came out of the bedroom. And I was the first musician for him to see. Ooh. It was. And he said, oh, Shigisha. <laughs> and he came and gave me this big hug. And he said, wow, don't know what your music has been doing to us. Because the first time he would talk, in fact, it was Toki Sapale who told me, you know, he came home because he was the first one to be released, to say, you know, when your son came on TV, we would call each other to be glued on the screens to go and watch this. I said, wow. And he saw me that I saw me and gave me this big hug and guess what I walked out with him to the rest of the musicians it was just unbelievable so I was the first one to <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure everybody was like mm-hmm. <laughs> looking mm. at you they were pretending to be happy but inside in their hearts they were like Come they had on. egg on their face for leaving me behind <laughs> I can imagine. And now, um, you know, Brasipa, I also wanted to just also pick up on something you, you said in the conversation about how when you were um, as part of the Beatles um, and you were in the United Kingdom and then you heard a, a, a British group playing with African roots. So, you know, yes. we now have a situation, obviously, um, within the world where African music seems to be taking over the world. How would you advise young musicians, you know, in Africa and artists in general to stay true to who they are and to export an African sound to the rest of the world. What are your thoughts around that? You've just taken the words out of my mouth. (laughs) (laughs) Stay true. Stay true to who you are. You know, they must stay true to to themselves Mm. because the rest of the world knows everything Mm. about itself. And we are, we we should be the conveyors of who we are. Mm. They must learn it from us. We cannot be hearing from them and you know, and I think young musicians must begin to be to to be proud of who they are, mm-hmm. and then take this because the rest. First of all, we need to understand historically where rhythm comes from, and what dance music comes from. Mm-hmm. 
dance and rhythm is an African phenomenon. Yes. So it was taken to other continents, whether they'd like to call it rock and roll or anything, it evolved through what African music was. Mm. So we should always remember that historically and take it back and take it to the rest of the world again. Mm. Sure. Yes. I like that. The way you're just the authority. It's like I'm going to use all of your quotes. Next time I have to do a talk, I say, So rhythm came from Africa. Just whether it's yeah. rock and roll <laughs> you know. Yeah. I'll be saying Brasipo Hot Six Mabuse told me. <laughs> so if you hear people yeah. saying that there's a Ugandan goal, it's me. <laughs> it's it's true. Rock and roll or whether you want to call it rock and roll today yeah. or what, it's all dance and rhythm mm. which came through to the African you know, diaspora. Mm. Brasipo, let's talk about your friends, you know, um, people like um, the late Miriam Makeba, uh, you know, obviously Kaifas Semenya, Letambuli, Huma Sekela, all of them. Yeah. Do you feel that they are getting the credit and the props that they should be, even if we look as far afield as perhaps, you know, Fela Kuti, Baba Mal, you know, Yusundor, do you feel that they're getting the credit um that they should be for being trailblazers in terms of taking African music global? Well, you know, the question that therefore it would be who should, who should do that? Mm. You know, if we look to politicians, unfortunately it's not going to come from the politicians. Mm. I cannot always speak for politicians, mm. but it is the African, it is the people themselves that must begin to realize and appreciate the role that, the art, these great artists played in terms of uh, the liberation struggle, in terms of infusing in people's minds that African music is so important for the international community that you could not create dance music without that contribution. Mm. Sure, very true. And now your favorite African song by any artist from Africa outside of your own? Because you, you have the song that's everyone's favorite. <laughs> so I'm going to put you on the spot. <laughs> it's, a, it's a totally, totally unfair question. <laughs> well, you know, you know I've, I've had so many, so many beautiful African songs. Mm. But I love all African songs, let me put it that way. Yes. But Malaika still remains, you know, the, the most romantic song oh. that has ever come out of this continent. Yeah. Very true. Rich, you see, uh, Malaika has always been the most romantic song that ever come out of this country. Definitely. Yes. And your legacy, this is a really tough question to ask because I guess, you know, other people define what your legacy is. But for you, if somebody were to say, how would you want to be remembered? You know, and how do you want to be remembered in terms of your contribution as a person um, to the world? <sighs> wow. You know, I I always strive, I always try to be a good person in society. Mm. And that's what I should be remembered for, for having done my best, you know, as best as I could to to um, educate, mm. to impart my little mm. knowledge with the rest of, you know, humanity. Mm. Yeah, that yeah. should be my legacy. Definitely. Bra, Sipo Hot Sticks Mabuse. All I can say, I normally have this 
great outro or something like that, but I'm just going to use what I use in the beginning. You know, from when you came, when you started creating music, you know, you were changing the African narrative right through to everything that you've done, the people you've worked through, your contribution to the struggle in South Africa, and just your your contribution as a human being you do change the African narrative. Even today, you know, people still look up to you. You're just phenomenal in all counts. And long before, you know, you're part of this earth and you move on to your next part of your journey, you are definitely going to be somebody who will continue to change the African narrative because your music speaks beyond you. Your humanity is second to none. And I'm just really privileged to have spoken to you. Thank you so much for spending time with us on Africa's State of Mind. What I, what, you know, you're Ugandan and you could have fooled me. <laughs> you know, you pronounce my name so well that you make me make many South Africans feel ashamed. <laughs> because, I, I mean, how you just pronounced my name so well. I am privileged to, to know you, Thank to you. talk to you. And thank you so much. I'm going to say goodbye in Luganda. Which means thank you very much, sir. I've been so happy to talk to you. <laughs> you have to teach me. <laughs> Definitely. Have a lovely remainder of the day. Thank you so much for your time. You too. And thank you. Thank you very much to Brasipo Hot Six Mabuse for spending time with us. You know, I can say so many things, but I think everything was already shared in the conversation. I hope that you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed speaking to him. And I hope that you took a little bit of his heart, uh, a lot of his music and a lot of his, his humanity and that you'll carry it with you always. Don't forget that um, you should tell your friends about the podcast Africa State of Mind with Lee Kasumba. You can follow us on Twitter, Africa State Mind. You can also join the Facebook group, which is Africa State of Mind. And also you can just, yeah, you can tweet me as well at Lee Kasumba, but I'd much rather that you tweet at Africa State Mind. Thank you so much. We'll be back next week with another amazing episode. This has been one of those defining moments, I think, on the podcast. So thank you very much for sharing. Bye. Africa State of Mind with Lee Kasumba. Get it on iTunes now.